Who is this sober-faced guy sitting in a tax booth, writing down little entries into his ledger? Why, this is one of the most despised and disgusting people of the first century. This is a man hated by all. He is the tax man. Nobody likes this guy because he is the guy who taxes whomever he wants, however he wants. His little booth, which is uh, by the Sea of Galilee on the Great Road, and he will see you going by with your dried fish and walk up and appraise the fish and tell you how much you're going to owe him. And he has the might of the Roman Empire behind him because if you refuse him, he can call soldiers and they will force you to pay. He's working for the enemy. Although he is a fellow Israelite, he works for the tyrant, Caesar. Now, let's be fair. He doesn't look demonic. His breath doesn't stink. He doesn't cackle as he writes in his ledger. He's a guy like you and me. He just wants to make a living. He has pets, maybe. He doesn't kick them across the room. (laughs) He helps his neighbor. He helps the elderly. And he justifies his job. If you were to have a conversation with him, he would say, look, You guys all enjoy the modern comforts of Rome. Do you like fresh water? Rome gives you aqueducts. Do you like the streets safe at night? You can thank a Roman soldier for that. Do you like libraries and architecture and and beautiful sculptures? Thank Rome. Because they're bringing this culture to you. They're the ones keeping the seaways safe from pirates. I mean, think about it. We could have a real barbaric nation ruling over us. Remember Assyria? Remember Babylon? Think about your history, simpletons. Read your prophets like I do. Nebuchadnezzar, now there was a bad guy. You don't want to mess with him. We've got it good. You're enjoying the luxuries of Rome. You're enjoying paved roads. And you're complaining about the tax man that makes it all possible. What I collect, what he collects, gets the job done. And besides, he says, if Rome is really such a terrible empire, why has the Lord allowed them to rule over us? He justifies his job, his extortion, his tax gathering, until one day he wakes up like any other day, eats a little bit of dried fish, heads out the door, sets up his tax booth. It's a day like any other. Maybe it's a Tuesday. And he's just doing his job. But on this day, he sees a group of people traveling by, and he recognizes the fishermen. Yeah, I've I've collected from them before, but where are the fish? Must have had a bad night. But it wasn't a bad night. They They weren't gathering fish. They weren't fishing at all. He sees... A rabbi that's becoming more and more well-known, traveling by. Only this time the rabbi stops and looks in his direction and walks over to his little booth. He has nothing to tax, but he says two words. Follow me. Follow me. And Levi, whom I think is probably responsible enough, gets up, grabs his ledger, takes his money bag, 
goes to the chief tax collector, turns it in, and says something like, I quit. And he goes, and he follows Jesus. And what he does next is what I want to talk to you about this morning. So would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 5, verse 27. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. There are two stories about this man called Levi, otherwise known as Matthew. Scholars debate why he's got two names. I don't think it's pertinent for us this morning. But you have two almost identical stories of Jesus calling a tax man to follow him. And in the book of Luke, the guy's name is Levi. In the book of Mark, the guy's name is Matthew. But the stories are almost identical. It's a calling away from taxes, and then he has a big party. The similarities are striking. And so most scholars, I think majority, would say this is the same guy. Levi is Matthew. Matthew is Levi. We're going to look at uh, the story as it's recorded in Luke. Um, there's, a couple, there's a couple minor differences, and I'm going to point them out as we go. So uh, here we go. Luke chapter 5, 27. After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at a table with them. <clears throat> and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So what I want to do uh, in this month leading up to Easter Sunday is do a new series called Jesus Friend of Sinners, just for the month. Just to get our hearts ready for Good Friday and then the celebration to follow Easter Sunday. Now, um, in talking about this, what I am trying to get at is often, sometimes, the church is accused of not being friendly to sinners. What was the Gandhi that said, I, I, like, I like your Christ, I don't like your Christians, your Christians act nothing like your Christ. You know, and, and so we hear this often, that people like the idea of Jesus, and now make sure you hear me, they like the idea of Jesus, this all-loving prophet traveling around the countryside teaching people to love better but they're not crazy about the church and so when it comes to jesus being a friend of sinners i think the right question to ask if you want to think about that concept is how how is jesus a friend of sinners because if i can understand how he is a friend of sinners i can be like him and, and that's really the point right like why do we have all these stories about jesus if not to teach us to be like him. So I want to know what he does and why he does it and how he interacts with people. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And when I think about that statement, probably the most famous story and probably the story that comes up in your mind is Jesus sitting down in a party with a bunch of sinners. Now, their use of the word sinners, you, you, you should kind of hear it with disdain. You know, when the Pharisees say, he eats with sinners. You know, you should kind of hear that, sinners. Like, like, like they're bad people, and, and you shouldn't be with them. They are the, 
the outcasts of society. Now, these sinners were probably kind of wealthy because they were tax collectors, but yet they were despised by their brothers and sisters in Israel because they would basically collect taxes from their countrymen and skim off the top. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe everybody knew that grain was supposed to be taxed 20%, but the tax guy could assess their grain at whatever value he wants and take what he wants and, and keep some for himself. Rome acquired this much, and the tax gatherer could keep take that much. It was up to them. So they were universally despised, although Rome needed them to, to do what Rome does, to gather money, build their empire, do what they do, enforce the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. So um, getting back to this question, a friend of sinners, uh, before I get into the, the main point, the main idea I'd like to convey, I think we've got to first talk a little bit about Jesus uh, calling Levi away from the tax booth. First of all, you're not necessarily called away from your job. You know, if you come to Jesus, it's not like I got to quit and get a new employer. Although I would like to, I would have liked to have been there to see Levi say, "I'm done," and to see what the chief tax collector said. By the way, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. It seems like Levi was probably one of the people that were under the chief guy. Um, but he was called away from sin. He was called out of a sinful lifestyle. And that's like all of us. We are called out of sin to follow Christ. Jesus' call to Levi is the same one as us. We leave old ways behind. Doesn't it make you wonder sometimes why in the world Jesus entrusted the treasure job of the, of the apostles to Judas? You ever wondered that? I don't really have a good answer. You can go home and talk about it, but but Judas is like the one untrustworthy guy. John 12, verse 6 or 7, I think, tells us that, that, that Judas was a thief. And he was taking, he was taking the disciples' money wh- where he could. You ever think Matthew, Levi, who, who took really good notes in a ledger? I mean, I'm guessing this guy is a good tax collector, you know? Don't you think he, maybe he noticed something going on? Maybe he talked to Jesus about it? But regardless... He never went back to the old life. In fact, um, one of the things, one of the differences, one of the really cool things when you read a gospel story is if two or three different people write about the same story, you can look for details that one author includes, the other author doesn't. So if Luke writes it this way and Mark writes it that way, what does Mark include that Luke doesn't? And and so this is kind of interesting. Um, In Luke, it says in verse 28, And this is the one you just read with me. And leaving everything. Leaving everything. Mark doesn't include include those words. Leaving everything. Mark probably wrote his gospel first, most scholars think. And so when Luke wrote his gospel, he wanted to emphasize that, that Levi just got up and he left it all behind. Now, I don't think he left the money sitting there, you know. I don't think he left the ledger there. I think he probably turned it in. And had a conversation, and that was the end of the day, you know. And now he's going to follow Jesus. But I think he was responsible. But he never, by leaving everything, I think what Luke is telling us is he's not going back to that lifestyle of cheating people. He's done with that sinful lifestyle. And so are we. We are done. We are called out of sin. Now here's the big but of the whole statement. We are called out. Away from sin, we are not called away from sinners. Okay? Levi has a big party. 
Levi has a gigantic party. And, and so I'm guessing he's got a big house because, again, he's a wealthy man. And it says in verse 29, he, he, uh, Levi made him, meaning Jesus, he made Jesus a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And then the Pharisees are grumbling about it. And, you know, what are, what are they doing here? Listen, listen. I, I got to wonder, what are the Pharisees doing there? I mean, these are the ultimate party poopers, you know. This is the Pharisees. Now, I don't think they were invited to this party. And even if they were invited, I don't think they walked in the doors. I, I mean, you read the story, and it's not like Luke gives us every detail. But knowing the Pharisees, by the way, some people think Pharisee means separate. You get the point? We are separate from you. We are the holy ones. We are the great followers of the law. We are the righteous, the Pharisees. Uh, I don't think they went to the party. I think they were like standing outside gawking and, and complaining. I think it was kind of like people, like, like, like if you're driving in a big city and you see all the people waiting to get into the nightclub and you're like, those sinners, you know. And, th- and, th- and then you see a pastor in line for the nightclub. What is he doing there? What's he going in there for? He should not be there. That's a nightclub. People are dancing. You know what dancing leads to. <laughs> um, okay. I almost walked right off the stage on that one. Okay. Um, I wasn't confess. I was not confessing sin there, just so you know. It was Christy. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it, yeah, sorry. Um, I think, I think they were watching people go in and they don't need a bouncer to be kept out because they don't want anything to do with what's going on in there eating with those sinners, the tax gatherers. No way. Now you say, well, they complained, right? They complained to Jesus and Jesus had to answer them and say, it's not the, the righteous need a doctor, but the sick. So what happened there? My guess is, I'm just trying to recreate it in my mind. This is just my best guess. They probably sent somebody in. Hey, sinner, come here, come here. You know, uh, go in there and find one of Jesus' disciples and say, "What in the world is your rabbi doing eating in there?" <laughs> Can you do that? Yeah. Okay. Here's your payout. Go, go do it. You know. And so he goes in and, and, and he asks the disciples, "What's your master doing in here, doing this?" And then Jesus hears it and he, and he knows exactly what's going on and he answers them and says, "I, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners." We'll come back to that in a minute. Can we say this? And this is my main idea, one main point that I've got for you this morning. That Jesus does not call us to hostility. He instead calls us to hospitality. Can we say that? That when it comes to sinners, and by sinners I mean people that don't know Jesus yet. They're they're living in their sin. They haven't repented. I know we all sin too. I, I know I'm a sinner too. But I mean people that don't know Jesus yet and are just doing, doing life. Jesus doesn't call us to hostility towards them, but to hospitality towards them. That's what I see in the text. Matthew throws, Levi throws a huge party. And you've got the grumblers outside. You've probably been the grumbler at some point. You probably know the grumblers. The, the Christians that never smile. At least not since Reagan was president. <laughs> you know, um, you, you know who I mean. You know who I mean. And, and I've been there too. You know, you're with a group of Christians and something comes on the TV and someone's dressed a certain way and you're like, I don't agree with that lifestyle. And then someone in the room says, they're freaks. Really? 
Has God called us into this life of hostility towards the world? Is that what we're... Now, now, don't get me wrong. I know we will be in conflict with the world. That's a different thing, you know? Uh, Maybe you saw this news story. um, Church in Michigan, outside Detroit, was doing a a six-week seminar for girls. Girls who may be... um, thinking about being in a, in a lesbian lifestyle or bisexual lifestyle, transgender. They were doing a six-week um, series to try, to try to help them figure, navigate that whole thing. And people found out about it. People called. There were bomb threats, arson threats, death threats. For a while, I heard the church was getting, um, for a while, they were getting about 40 calls a minute from people that were just furious with them. Politicians are getting involved out in Detroit saying this is wrong. We need to introduce legislation to stop this. This is a church. This is like the same thing I did for, for districts in January. Like you're talking to kids, you're talking to teenagers, and telling them that following Christ means rejecting this lifestyle. That's hostility. A pastor and his family and kids getting death threats? That's hostility. So I know that we're going to come into conflict with the world by trying to love young women and show them a better way of living. I get that there's conflict, but no hostility from us. From us, there has to be hospitality. I had a neighbor right across the street, grumpy guy. He always sat on his front porch. And in the evening when we went outside to play, we always kind of knew we needed to be quiet because he was sitting out there trying to enjoy his evening. And we were tearing around the yard like crazy people, you know, shooting our Nerf guns and whatever we were doing, you know. And, and sometimes you'd hear him from across the street and you'd hear like this, and he would get up, he'd walk in, you know. It was kind of like, kind of like the caricature, get off the lawn, you know. It, it, it's that whole thing. And some of us are like that. We're like that. We come into contact with sinners. We come into contact with people in the world. And we get a little bit annoyed, and we want to show our annoyance, and we have words to say. Negative, mean, cruel words. But Christ has not called us to hostility. As far as it's with us, let's not be hostile to the world. That's a Pharisee. Which which is interesting, side note, I was thinking about this last night, that I know Christian Pharisees. I, I know, and I bet you know. The grumblers. But I also think the world is becoming increasing, increasingly pharisaical, if that's a word. You know? Where they are the morally upright, according to them, and all of us better get in line and be like them. I think more and more we're becoming the ones that are called the sinners. You know, it's just an interesting thing to think about. But Christ doesn't call us to hostility. There. Christ has called us instead to hospitality to sinners hospitality. Let's talk about that a little bit. So, at this party, uh, I see in verse 29, Levi made him, that's Jesus, a great feast in his house. Think about this. He invites all these tax collectors, all these, oh, and by the way, Mark tells us, now Luke doesn't record this, but Mark does. I'm going to read Mark's version for a second. This is uh, Mark 2, uh, 15. As he reclined at the table of his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. There were many who followed him. So there, there were people at the party 
that follow Jesus already. Okay? So Matthew invites sinners that need Jesus and people that already know Jesus. And he mixes them all up at this great feast at his house. And the feast is for Jesus. Okay? It's for Christ. Think about this. There is a higher purpose for your friendships than just you enjoying the friendship. There's a higher purpose. And the purpose is to introduce your friends to Christ. There's a higher purpose for your friendships. Now, some people say, now wait, 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 wait. We don't want to treat people like projects, right? Like I'm just a friend, I'm just your friend because I want you to introduce you to Jesus, but I don't really care about you. We don't want to treat people like projects. And I agree to a certain extent, as long as you keep in mind, Levi held the party to introduce people to Jesus. Come one, come all, you've got to meet this guy. Um, I know projects. I just talked about science last week and how much I disliked it. Sorry. Um, but I remember in physics class, I had, the, uh, I had to do the um, Ruby Goldberg project. Is that the name of it? Do they still call it that? Is that right? Rube. Rube. Got it. There you go. Science. Rube. Um, and, uh, I, you know, it, it, the project is kind of like, it's like a giant mousetrap. Remember the mousetrap game? For those that hate science, never took physics. Like, like you know, the mousetrap game where one thing hits this thing and then a little net comes down and the ball rolls, you know, all, all that stuff. That's a very crude way to describe it. I am so sorry, you science people. Oh, I should have thought about that before I started giving that example. But the point being, one thing leads to another. It's a domino effect. Um, and uh, I was working on it one day, and my partners were not in the room. And I was on this table. And it's like a, like a, like a table for three, like in, in a science class. And I was standing up to get because it went high. And I was standing up on a swivel chair. A swivel chair. You know. And... <laughs> So I'm working on this, and of course I slip, I fall, I hit my tailbone on the back of the swivel chair, and I blacked out. Now nobody came to my rescue, so I got I got to think that it was I wasn't out very long. But I remember opening my eyes, and everything was kind of like bright white, and and I and I could hear voices, and they were kind of fuzzy. It was kind of like I rebooted. It was pretty cool. Um. So I was okay. I was okay. I rebooted. And then I was able to continue working on the Goldberg project. Now I gotta, I gotta be in physics. Now that's not bad for a guy who doesn't like science. I gotta be. But, uh, my point is, I had no personal affection for that project. That project tried to kill me. Um, I was almost part of the project, you know? This hits this, hits this, hits me, I go down. Um, I was almost part of the project. But, but the thing is, I have no affection. I already confessed it last week. I have no affection for science and class and all that. Um, it's just a project. It's a great. Now, we share Christ with our friends. And I know there's the promise of treasure in heaven. I know there's the promise of well done, good and faithful servant. And I take all of that into account. That is good and glorious and I love it. But I also am friends. I, I, we have to be friends of sinners because these are people that God created, that God loves. And if you don't love sinners, and you say, I never had affection for sinners, you've got to get beyond that. It's not science. These are people. These are, science is science. These are people. And we can't treat them like projects. 
And we can't say, well, I don't want to treat him like a project, so I'm never going to bring up Jesus because that would be like a project. No, 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 no. No. It's because you love them that you introduce them to your best friend. That's what Matthew did. It's because you love them that you do that. Um. One more thing. Um, so let's say you want to, I think I'm about ready to leave that main point behind and get to a, a conclusion. But, but let's say you say to me, um, Niall, I want, I want to be less hostile towards sinners. And by the way, I do read your Facebook comments, so I do know. Um, I want to be less hostile. I know, now you're feeling really guilty. You're feeling really guilty. <laughs> you should. Okay. Um, now, you say, how do I get there? Like, what's one of the first steps out of hostility into hospitality? And I just want to talk about, like, why would you do that? Why would you make that move? And I want you to see Jesus' mission. I'm going to read it one more time. Because when the Pharisees grumbled, the way that Jesus shut their mouths was to say this. This is verse 31. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call, not the, not call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I never, if you go into the doctor's office, I'm guessing that most of the people in that office are not there being well, physically strong and able and just, what are you doing here? I'm just seeing the doctor. It's great. Life is good. Everybody's got a problem. That's why you show up at the doctor's office. Now, I know there's wellness checkups and preventative stuff. I, I understand that. But, but I'm guessing the majority of people in the doctor's office are sick or have a problem and need help. You know, I, I'm, I'm here because I need to see the doctor. I have a problem. Just guessing. And Jesus says it's just that's that way with him. He's not calling the Pharisees righteous. I mean, he is, but if you detect sarcasm, I'd say yes. Jesus was sarcastic? I, I think so right here, don't you think? The Pharisees can't possibly be righteous and without a need of a doctor, right? Like later Jesus says they're full of all sorts of dead things, right? That's what Jesus says. So if Pharisees are full of dead things and not righteous and Jesus calls them righteous, I think what he means is they're self-righteous, you know? It's a sarcastic comment. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. If you want to break the hostility in a theological way, it starts with saying, this is Jesus' mission. The mission of Christ breaks our hostility. If you can't look at people and say, this is somebody Jesus died for. This is somebody that Jesus loves. I need to love them too. If you can't get on board with Jesus' mission, then the hostility won't be broken. But then let's just admit that you're not part of Jesus' mission here. So what in the world are you even doing here? Right? The mission breaks hostility. What does the Pharisee say to that? Jesus, you're the doctor and you're, and you're treating sinners. What do you say back to that? You just go back to your corner and say, fine, I'm just going to keep judging. And we can do that, right? We do that. But we shouldn't. All right. We're at the end. Um, can I uh, like to give you a four key takeaways to maybe make this 
very practical for you. Four, four key takeaways for you. Let's try this out. Number one, um, I think we need to go beyond friendly to being a friend. You know the difference there? Friendly is you walking through town or you at the sports game and, hi, how you doing? I can't stand them. You know, like, you can do friendly. I can do friendly. I know how it works. I know what it looks like. But if you go beyond friendly, it becomes, hey, you want to do dinner at my place? Invite your family. Bring the kids. Come on over. Let's have a meal together. That's like what friends do. Friends get invited to your house. Friendly doesn't get people in the door of your house. You get what I'm saying? you got to go beyond friendly. Isn't that the Minnesota thing? Anybody from Minnesota? Like you know this? Um, you got to get beyond friendly and be a friend to sinners. But secondly, I think the next takeaway is um, we got to be comfortable and realize the goal is love but not to be liked. As believers, love is to speak truth to people, right? i got to speak the truth in love. And if you do that in this culture, you may not be liked. But some people will see through that, and they will experience your love, your friendship, and see that it's genuine and it's better than anything the world has to offer. That Christ's love is better than any other ideology, cultural, whatever. Christ's love is better. And it won't cause you to be liked, but it will move you into this place where you can love. And that's what Jesus did. He was not liked by all. And I've got to think that if he was walking around today, we'd be seeing some radical things that would challenge us, and our culture would see some radical things that would challenge it. I think we'd all be challenged if Jesus was walking around America doing stuff. Fortunately, we can be the body of Christ, and we can be the challengers to the way culture does things. Number three, this is super practical. Uh, Mix it up. Put your friends in a blender, you know. There you go, on high. That was really gross, I'm sorry. Um, but, but no, no, seriously, mix it up. So, so you've got friends, and those friends don't, you have church friends, and those church friends don't have sinner friends. But you've got sinner friends. So invite them all together and do your party. Put them all in the same room. See what happens. Now I know if you were at Levi's party, some of you, if you were at Levi's big party with Jesus, some of you would be like this, you know. You'd be very, very uncomfortable and wooden. And you're like, what am I doing here with these sinners? They don't talk about good stuff. I don't know what those words mean. You know, I, I, whatever it would be. I know, I know. Some of you are good with hospitality. Some of you have the gift of hospitality. You need to use that gift and get your Christian friends in the same room as your non-Christian friends and let them mix. Right? Let's do that. Uh, and then finally, number four, and I'm going to close with this, uh, you've got to apply the gospel. And, and that could look in a lot of different ways. That, that could look like you just telling your story about how you came to Christ. It could look like you having a conversation with your friend over lunch at work where you say, tell me about your religious background. Chances are you're going to hear something very positive or very negative, right? And it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting, and you're going to be able to interact with it. I'm sorry you had that experience. Or, that's great. You had a great church experience. Why are you not in now? You know, wherever it goes, you just apply the gospel. It looks different in every situation. But you think about it, you pray about it. How do I apply the gospel here? What does it look like here? Easter's coming. It might mean, hey, come to an Easter service at my church. 
a great tradition. Maybe it'll turn into a regular thing. Who knows? Who knows? But you apply the gospel. Whatever that looks like, you apply it. And apply it liberally. Be wise. Think about how you're going to do it, but do it. Um, that's the end. Uh, I hope, I hope that, um, you heard something today that would help you in this season where I think there's a heightened spiritual interest. I hope you've heard something today that would help you reach out in a way of hospitality and that we could be less hostile in how we treat the world, how we treat sinners. Worship team, would you come up? Let's pray. Father, um, I'm so thankful that you sent Jesus to show us what this looks like. And Father, I know that the world has their own understanding of what Jesus is, what he does, what he's like. And some people think he was just this great big being of love and never said anything difficult, never said anything that was controversial. God, we know better. But we know part of the controversy of Christ was who he associated with. May it be so with us. And Lord, I pray for those, I don't think I mentioned this in the sermon, but I pray for those who, who are really taking seriously that verse that says, bad company corrupts good character. I know for some people here, they need to be very, very careful who they're hanging out with because it pulls them right back into that old lifestyle. Lord, I pray that they would not take this passage foolishly and jump right back in and get sucked into sin. I pray that they would continue like Levi to leave everything behind. That they would not become like a Judas. They'd be like a Levi. Would you help us with discernment over that? Because we know we are weak and we need to be careful. And yet when we're weak, we're strong. And so we love you for your spirit that lives in us and helps us and guides us. May we be more like you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.